You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. The rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles two places tonight. Two places in your Bible. The first I want you to turn to is Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, and we're going to come back to that. That's the main text for tonight. Acts chapter 19, but we're going to begin back at Ephesians chapter 5 again. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse, and verse 11. You know, in a world that seems at times to be more concerned about rights than responsibilities, evil, evil and its devastating impact seems these days to go unchallenged. We, we, we see it all around us. Sex trafficking and sex abuse is at an all-time high. It's an epidemic. Riots, protests, civil liberties infringed upon. Politicians, politicians caught in lies and scandal who continue to look you in the eye and say, I'm not guilty, even when there are dozens of people claiming that it's true. Large businesses, large businesses that we buy our refreshments from or that we go and we get clothing from who have made it their position not to provide us goods but to take a stand on lifestyles that are outside of God's plan for marriage. The family unit itself is more divided than than ever. What is a Christ follower's responsibility in all of this? Is it okay to protest? Is it okay to march, to to go down and, and to riot in the streets? Is it okay to say, I'm not buying from you until you change your slogan, until you change and get back focused on providing a good instead of telling me what my morals ought to be? Should we vote Should we vote for a political party that condones, not only condones, but makes certain that abortion can go on in our country? Should we confront the behavior? Or should we simply keep our heads down? Act as if nothing's wrong and just just pray. Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul gives us this instruction. And if you don't have your Bible open, please open it up tonight. Because you need to know what God's Word has to say about issues that are all around us today. And because we have been impotent as a church across this nation, all of this stuff has gained traction. So let's listen to what God has to say tonight. Paul says, have nothing to do. Now it doesn't get any more clear than that have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. This weekend, we address our final question in this series. And I told you at the beginning, right, we started out with the easy ones, 
the ones that are easy to go, that's right, preacher. Yeah, that, that's good. And we get to some of the most hardest last weekend talking about sexuality. And I thank you for being a church who, who listens so intently. And I thank you for the encouragement because let me tell you, fewer and fewer pastors today have the courage to say these things that are true. God's word. And tonight we ask another difficult question. We're asking for a friend, right? It's not for us. And that is, is it okay to let the evil around me go unaddressed? Is it okay? In Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, our main text for tonight, I want you to see, I want you to see what's going on in a place called Ephesus. You, we just read from Ephesians, Paul's letter to this church. Go back a few years to where Paul was living in Ephesus. This is where we're at in Acts chapter 19 and in verse 8. We read Paul. Paul spoke boldly in the synagogue, in the church, for three months, every day, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. In verse 10, it says, he took his disciples with him, and they had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. It is like going down to IUS's lecture hall. It's like going downtown to the Capitol and, and having a group come and, and speaking to them every day, not just for three months, but for two years. Verse 11 says, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. Verse 18 Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the number came to 50,000 drachma. Now, drachma was a, a silver coin worth a day's wages. Uh, some of you have been working at Country Lake. And by the way, by the way, Country Lake has employed a number of our teens this summer. And I heard last week that when Ross, the, the director of that ministry up there, spoke to them at family day, he talked about the dedication. He talked about the example. He talked about the commitment. And you know who he attributed that to? Not just you, but your church. You represent your church when you're out in the field. Great job, students. When they calculate the value of the scrolls, 50,000 drachmas, 50,000 days wages was the value of what they burned that day. And in this way, it says, verse 20, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Let's begin here. The light of the gospel. The light of the gospel confronts sinful behavior in our life first and in the life of those around us. T 
Terry Jellison, many of you know him from Sunday morning services, is always part of our chili cook-off. Terry Jellison and I were talking after service last week about the old shows that we used to watch in the 70s. And he had his favorite and, and my favorite. My, it killed my mother that I was allowed to watch this, but Dad and I always tuned it in every night, and that was Sanford and Son. You remember Fred and Lamont Sanford? So, some of you, you need to look it up on YouTube. Really wholesome stuff right? Good stuff. Good stuff. But Fred and Lamont, they owned a junk business, right? And Fred was one of those wheeler dealers. He was so lazy, though, he didn't want to work so much so that he would fake a heart attack all the time just to get out of something. But he was always scheming to pawn off a piece of junk for an amount of money. And about that time, Aunt Esther would show up and she was the stereotypical church lady. She came in in her dress and her heels, her hair all did, you know. And she'd have that Bible in her hand, one of those good old Baptist floppy Bibles, you know, that's just all over the place. And she'd bring that up, and she'd just start beating the tar out of Fred. You no good so-and-so, and, you know, you cheat. You're terrible, Fred. Now, in the 70s, this was the idea of how a Christian was to confront behavior of those around them and how it's changed. Today, we see Christians posting on social media. We see signs in our yards, bumper stickers on our cars, expressing our opposing view, picking our pet project, right? Whatever the flavor of the week is, ignoring all the others. All the while, we often do what? We ourselves cross the line. We cross the line in, in, in what started out to be as a good intention. We cross the line with our language. We cross the line with our gestures. We even cross the line with the application of the truth that we're trying to hammer somebody else with. We ourselves are living a lie. From the day of Paul's conversion... From the day of Paul's conversion, Paul lived what he preached. In fact, it's what made him so convincing. People knew of his past, and now they could see the consistency in what he was saying. It matched up with his life, not just for a few weeks at a time till he fell off the wagon, not just for three months until he hit a hardship, not just for a year or two, but for years, for decades, he lived what he preached, how he dealt with conflict, how he delivered his opposing message to the evil going on around him. And this is where we find him in verse 19. He, in Acts chapter 19, excuse me, he was in the very city that he wrote to us in Ephesians 5, 11. He spends three years preaching throughout Ephesus, all of Asia, not protesting, not inciting riots, not targeting individuals who were lost in their own sin, not posting long blogs on social media about the sin of the week that was getting all the attention, but in verse 17 of Acts chapter 19, it says the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. He preached. He lived the gospel. Paul lived what he preached, what he directs us to do today have nothing to do 
with the fruitless deeds of darkness, right? Instead, expose them. Shine the light on them. Shine the light. Jesus said in Matthew 5, what? He said, you're the light of the world. He was speaking to Christians like you and me. You're the light of the world. You're like a city up on the highest hill that can't be hidden. There's no trees tall enough. There's no basket big enough to put over you. You're the light of the world. Let your good deeds, let your transformed life shine before men that they can see that and say, oh, what a good guy. So they can see that and praise your father in heaven. It's the light of the gospel that makes everything visible, that reveals the depravity of what's going on in the dark. Doctors sworn to do no harm, taking the life of an unborn child under the guise of a woman's health clinic or Planned Parenthood. The corrupt and self-serving mission of activists, Antifa and Black Lives Matter and the such, and their cause. The lies and the racism of theories being pushed on our school. Tell me, friends, why now for decades have we been focused on teaching theories instead of the truth? There's no place for that. For it is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything, everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Wake up. Paul preached and lived the truth in the very community that he was living and all around. Verse 10 says, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, everyone heard the word of the Lord. Well, in verse 13, in verse 13 here in Acts 19, we read about a group of Jews who tried to confront evil by driving evil spirits out of, out of people. Uh, they got these people together and they started doing their little thing, right? And then they invoke the name of Jesus, a name that they, that they were yet to follow themselves. But they invoke their religion they invoke the name of Jesus, and verse 15 says, One day the evil spirit answered them. He jumped on them and overpowered them all and gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. We see this today. We see this today when church people are living a dual life where church people are living a dual life who publicly confront the evil in those around them, all the while they themselves are overpowered by the same evil. And the light of the gospel lays you out naked, exactly for who you are. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. In verse 18, but in verse 18 we see the power of the gospel at work. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. They not only confessed what the light had been, what the light had revealed to them, but what did they do? They themselves, not Paul, not the people who were recently converted out marching and, and riding against these people, they themselves burned their theories. 
They themselves burned their books, their scrolls. These things had significant value. 50,000 days wages and personal value. They had invested their life in these things. And yet they laid them down and they burned them because the light of the gospel had shown them the truth. You see, the power of the truth of God's word, the light, the power of this right here that's to be hidden in our hearts, that we are to be prepared to give an answer for the reason for our hope with, it is greater than any theory, it is greater than any movement, it is greater than any government or evil that has a hold on a person, city, or society. It's greater. Peter speaks of this power in 1 Peter chapter 3 in regard to how we should conduct ourselves. As believers, our focus to be on Christ, understanding that he and he alone, that he is ultimately in control of all events. You know why society looks so jacked up today on TV? It's because it is. You know why leaders, why we can't trust I'm, I'm just, I'm really, I would like to meet a handful of politicians that we can trust. I really would. There's one that comes to our church. He'll be here in the morning. It's really been neat getting to know him. But our first conversation was, he, he let me know he was elected official. I said, I'm really sorry. Because <laughs> it was a weekend that I, I mentioned something like this, and I wasn't sorry for what I said. I just said, please, let it not be true in you. He is the reigning king, and all powers and authorities ultimately must answer to him. We will, and they will. And so it's our responsibility to invoke this reality first in our lives, the power, the truth of God's word. We're to invoke it first right here by living this truth authentically without leaving room for evil. Here's what he says. In your hearts, in the depth of your being, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Why? So that you can keep a clear conscience. When you blow up, when you go out there and act like these crazy people, you've blown it. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ will be ashamed of their slander. Never in my life, never in my life have I felt so emboldened to speak the truth of God's word right here in this room. You see, I believe it's my responsibility and every other pastor's responsibility, just like the prophets of old, to sound the alarm, to call sin what it is and evil what it is. Why the confidence? Because Jesus Christ is our only hope. He's our only hope. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that I'm convinced that without him taking control of every area of your personal life, he alone is to be worshiped. His commands override any authority. 
His truth is what we live by, no matter what the world says. If we don't commit ourselves to that, if we don't live by that, you need to know that you are destined for heartache, you are destined for dysfunction, you are destined for brokenness, and very likely you are destined for hell itself. It's that serious. In Acts chapter 19, verse 23, after this amazing public display of God's changing power, I mean, that's a public display, isn't it? When these people take 50,000 days worth of wages of their stuff. It's powerful, isn't it? When a person who's been a drunk for 25 years and put their family through hell is now sober for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. After this amazing public display of God's life-changing power, verse 23 says, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. What's the way? The way is the way that Paul was teaching. The way being Jesus, the, the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's the way. And there was a disturbance about the way. There wasn't a disturbance about Paul going out and hitting sinners hard. There was a disturbance because the way, the truth of the gospel, was changing people's lives. That's why there was a disturbance. It was confronting the evil in the society around them, and a riot broke out. But I want you to notice who's not inciting the riot. Is Paul? No. Or the new converts? No. It's the silversmith named Demetrius. Look in verse 24. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis. Now who's Artemis? She's a goddess with a boy's name. All right? She's the goddess of Ephesus. He made these little silver shrines of Artemis. He brought in no little business. It was big business. This way. Everybody had one of these in their home. He called all the craftsmen together along with the workmen in related trades. He says, men, you know we receive a good income from this business. Boy, I mean, can, can you not make the connection? Boy, it sounds like today. Men, you know we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul is convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and in practicality, the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There's danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and there it is. It's exactly the way evil works. We gather around ourselves as many people as we can who share our agenda. Artemis. Artemis was carved out of a meteorite that fell from heaven. You can't get any more inanimate than that. You can't get any more dead than that. Artemis carved from a meteorite that fell from the sky. Little statues made by these craftsmen. It was a whole industry that, that funded the whole community there. Remember the scrolls that were burned by those who were converted to Christianity? That was nothing compared to the income. But the word of God 
The gospel was fearing with their agenda. Do you think the censorship that we're seeing on social media today is to protect us? Do you think that's to protect you, you guys? When, when someone shares an opposing view about COVID-19 and they put this box down there that says, this isn't true. Read what we say is true, right? Do you think that's there to protect you, really? No. Do you really believe the billions, billions spent on political campaigns are because these people want to do what's best for you? Do you really believe that? Do you think taking the life of unborn children is really about protecting the rights of women? Women, do you feel protected by that? Oh, it's terrible. Do you think rioters who burn down small businesses and defund police in the name of social justice care anything at all about justice? Listen, listen. Always expect the shriek of evil when it's confronted by the truth of God's word. Always expect it to shriek. Can you hear it? The chants, the attacks, the riots, the social media posts, the slander. The evil one who's come, right? He's come to steal from you and me. He's come to kill your hope. He's come to destroy you. And any confrontation against his agenda brings forth the depth of evil underneath that which has been labeled by society as good. Write it down. Any confrontation against Satan's agenda brings forth the depth of evil underneath that which has been labeled by society as good. Light shines on the darkness. It exposes their evil deeds. It wasn't the Christians who were rioting. rioting. It wasn't the Christians who were calling for the death of those who had committed such evil. It was those behind the evil that in verse 29 grabbed two of Paul's traveling companions. And look what they do next. They rush. They rush as one man into a theater provoked by one businessman who then formed a mob, a group of evil people who felt threatened. And they filled a theater capable of holding 30,000 people. Verse 30 says, Paul wanted to appear before the crowd. <laughs> what a man of God. He wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples wouldn't let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly, this mob inside the theater, the assembly was in confusion. I want you to note that. It was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people, verse 32 says, did not even know why they were there. <laughs> confusion. Confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Listen, God's word, the light, does not bring confusion. God's word does not bring confusion, but evil does. The Bible says, for God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. And when we look at the evil going on around us today, can you not see the confusion? 
Can you not see that many people don't even know that why they are chanting and rioting, obstructing good? When I say to a Democrat, how can you vote Democrat when their platform has abortion as part of it? You can't see it because in the old days, in the old days, the parties didn't take on these values that the church and that the Lord Jesus Christ governs. But today, make no mistake, it's a very much a part of what these politicals do. Confusion. Confusion. Students who have barely experienced life, who are given a platform today, who don't know their own history, speaking authoritatively on race and environment and health and other issues. Confusion as to whether abortion clinics or liquor stores should remain open while individuals with diabetes, heart disease, and cancer and other conditions are told not to come to the hospital? Oh, that doesn't, yes. Do you forget already what happened last year? Churches shouldn't gather for fear of a virus that kills less than a percentage of us? Dear friends, make no mistake that evil brings confusion. Christianity makes people mad because they don't like to be confronted about the sinfulness of their actions. They don't like facing the fact that their entire way of life and their system is wrong. Verse 28 says, in their fury, they start screaming the name of their goddess. Artemis of the Ephesians. Justice. Black lives matter. Health is more important than faith. LGBTQ. You name it. They start screaming it. Now, I think there are two perspectives here in verse 30. It says that Paul wanted to speak to the hostile crowd. He saw the opportunity. He knew, just like today, there is a void of leadership in our country. There was a void in leadership in Ephesus in the church. And Paul, Paul wanted to speak to the hostile crowd. He saw the opportunity to share the truth of the gospel, this same truth that he had been preaching for three years in Ephesus, but some of his disciples... Even his friends cautioned him, don't go. Don't go, Paul. I think one of the perspectives is, is that the disciples and friends of Paul didn't want him to be put in harm's way. And I, I think that's great, right? We're to love each other. We're to protect each other. And we don't want to see anybody walk into an ambush. We, we don't want to see anybody hurt. And so good for them. Good for them. He could have lost his life. But if you skip ahead to the end of the account, we find the second perspective. It was the city clerk in verse 35. The city clerk. The city clerk, a worshiper of Artemis, a worshiper of this meteorite, a worshiper who went in and addressed the crowd. <laughs> verse 35. He did no favor for the church. What do you mean? He stopped the riot. Everybody went home. It was peaceful. But listen to what he said. Doesn't all the world know that 
Ephesus is the guardian of Artemis. <laughs> Everybody already knows that. These Christians over here, there's just a few of them. There's just a few of them. Let's just go home. Let's not make an issue out of this. The courts will decide. Who's packed the courts? These people who worship Artemis. The courts will decide. Let them bring the ruling. This perspective's troubling because by doing nothing, those who held Paul back, they didn't trust the gospel of Jesus Christ to do its work. And in that moment, the church passed under the protection of the town clerk instead of Jesus Christ. When we allow the evil around us to go unaddressed and passively let things happen that slowly chip away at the authority of God and the gospel message, we do irreparable harm. Irreparable harm, not only to the church, but to the society around us. Someone told me a long time ago, you can't argue with fruit, (laughs) right? Long time ago, when I first started here, there's a group of people got upset because there were McDonald's cups sitting on the carpeted floor. But a church that had less than a handful of youth now had a hundred youth in it. And they wanted to argue about McDonald's cups on the floor. This is what happens. We are well on our way as a nation. In many places, the local church to God removing himself from us. Listen, the final glimpse of the Ephesians church in Revelation 2.4, some of you remember this. What did Jesus say when John was given this vision? What did he say about the church in Ephesus? The church that let the city clerk take care of the business instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I hold this against you. Do you want Jesus Christ to hold anything against us? (laughs) I don't. The one who paid for me and bought me. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. You've stepped out on me. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. (laughs) Our country, and unfortunately many who call themselves believers, we have forsaken. We have forsaken our first love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Except for when this is going on. Except for when they say that that we really need to do this. These people who have done everything else for evil deeds, and all of a sudden you want to do what they say before God? If we don't repent as a country, and friends, if we don't address the evil around us and repent as a church, if we don't turn to the things we did at first, if we don't build our society if we don't build our law, if we don't build our government, if we don't build our families and our marriages, our morality on the word of God, we will no longer hold a place in God's favor. 
the writing's on the wall. And that, that should provoke us to change. Paul concludes in Ephesians 5.15. So what should you do? <laughs> he says, be very careful then how you live. Not as the unwise, but as the wise. Making the most of every opportunity. <laughs> Your opportunity as a parent today. Your opportunity as a church today. That was so exciting to hear that from Country Lake because when I look, when I look at the kids at the mall, when I look at the thugs that cause the average person to have to be armed when we're walking our streets of our cities, when I see them, I, I see very little Christ in them. But I am so excited today to have families right here building, building young people that will be different than we were, my generation, that hopefully will hold to their faith, that won't bow down to everything, but that will stand firm unapologetically that will be politicians who will do what the government's supposed to do. Business owners who create good things that we need, but don't tell us what our sexuality should be. If we don't return to building our society, our families, our marriages, our morality, God, will remove his favor from us. Paul concludes, because the days are evil. <laughs> and they are. We're to take advantage of our knowledge of Christ and we're to apply it to our everyday lives and not compromise, no matter what. There's evil all around us. And we're to engage every opportunity to draw people from darkness and into the light. That's where our attention is to be focused. So is it okay to let the evil around me go unaddressed? Well, you talk about a heavy sermon tonight, but we're going to get to go out and play in the mud. In fact, I declare tonight, I declare tonight elders' wives mud wrestling tonight. <laughs> I've been wanting to do it for the last five years. All right? Elders' wives get to go first, and it's my second that. That's right. That's right. Is it okay to let evil go unaddressed, friends? No, it's not. It's not okay to be passive. It's not okay to just put our heads down in the sand as if nothing's going on. So what should we do? We should be present. <laughs> We should be present. We should not be afraid to walk into the arena filled with chanting people. But remember, they were confused. Remember, they didn't even know what they were chanting for. Can you see the opportunity there? Yes, there was some danger because people who don't follow Christ, they do crazy things. But when you have that many people left that are still undecided, that don't understand, what an opportunity to show them the light. What an opportunity for change. 
God has entrusted to us the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, it's a message that brings conflict, even within families. Jesus said that, certainly in our world. But it's a message that brings life. And it's a message that brings peace to all who will receive it. So what does that mean for us tonight? It means that we start surrendering our life to Jesus Christ, whether it's for the first time, for the first time in Christian baptism, where you will receive this power, didymos, that lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit of God that transforms you. For others, it's a time to be honest with ourselves about our complicity in the darkness. But God said a long time ago, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. (laughs) Don't you want to be part of that? I do. Let's stand together and let's pray. Well, Father God, this was a dandy, but it's in your word. And so we can't push it off to the side, as some have done. We have to put it back in its rightful place, the full counsel of what you've told us to do while we're here. And this command to have nothing to do with evil is one that we failed you in. We are complicit. And so, God, we ask your forgiveness tonight. We ask it for ourselves. We ask it for our community. We ask it for our nation. We ask it for the world. We humble ourselves, God, knowing that as one we feel and look powerless because we've given up so much. But, Father, we seek your face. We turn to you, and we expect to hear from you. I think we've heard from you tonight. Forgive our sins. Heal our lives and heal our land. Continue to expose the evil around us for what it is. But may we not get caught in the darkness ourselves. May we be on the side of light always. The light that gave his life for us, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I know of one who comes tonight to take their next step. If you'd like to do the same, come as we sing.